Well, the Christmas season was over. The kids were back in school, and the teacher had asked each student to come up and share something new that had happened while they were on Christmas break. Uh, little Johnny goes up and stands at the podium, and he says, Well, we went to a new place, a place called Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. He said, you might remember that's the place where Puxatawney Phil, uh, the, the groundhog, when he sees his shadow, it tells whether we're going to have a short winter or more winter. And we went there, and the teacher said, well, Johnny, for extra credit, tell us how to spell Puxatawney. Johnny said, you know, come to think of it, we just went to Ohio, O-H-I-O. You know, it's always good to try something new, though. And uh, some people are desperate for something new. I read this week about an Australian man. His name was Ian Usher. And Ian was so disappointed with his life that he decided he was going to try something new. He was going to auction his life off. Now, he worked all this out. Uh, He was uh, expecting to get at least... $390,000. The sale of his life would include a three-bedroom furnished house, a car, a motorcycle, a jet ski, a one-time introduction to all of his friends, a two-week trial run at his old job where he sold rugs at a store that sells rugs, When all was said and done and the auction was over, he, the highest bidder, was $399,000. He was actually a little disappointed in that because the house was worth between $400,000 and $420,000. And as it turns out, the whole deal fell through when the highest bidder couldn't get financing. He tried several other of the next highest bidders, and they couldn't get financing, so the whole thing blew up. He wound up having to wait a while and sell each individual piece uh, by itself. But um, he was fed up. He wanted a new life. Turns out he ended up uh, working as a house sitter and traveling all over Europe to house sit for people who were gone on vacation or extended travel. And that was his new life. You know, sometimes we all think about a new life. How's your life? Do you like your life? Or would you want a new life? You know, you can have a new life. The Bible promises us a new life. And if we desire a new life, we can have that new life. You know, a new life is great for you. It's also usually beneficial to other people around you, people that you know. It's usually beneficial for your community and certainly beneficial for your church usually when you have this new life, this new lease on life. We're beginning a new series today. And this series is called Engage Bristol. Uh, We put out a flyer last week that has all the sermon titles and has the, uh, the scripture that we'll be using for each of those so you can read ahead. There's some of these left if you didn't get one last week at the Welcome Center back there. It's also got some devotions you can do for 
the upcoming year from the YouVersion Bible app. But uh, if you didn't get one of these, please pick one up, and that will help you prepare each week. As we get ready for the sermon, you can know what the title is going to be, what the text is going to be for the sermon uh, as we go through. But why engage Bristol? Uh, this is part of our three-year plan. And today's message is going to be titled, New Life. Because we're going to think about this new life that we have in Christ. And as we think about this and begin today, we ask the question, why engage Bristol? Well, it's part of our three-year plan. As you remember, we also have some of these brochures available. We gave these out over a year ago. And, of course, there are three parts to our plan. Engage Jesus, engage Bristol, engage the next generation. And last year, we sort of focused on the engage Jesus part of that. Uh, we got more in-depth in Bible study, added some small groups. Uh, we're going to continue to work on that. But this year, we're going to be more focused on engaging Bristol. Next year, we're going to look at engaging the next generation and be more on purpose about that, although we will begin to do some things in that area this year. But why engage Bristol? And what does that mean to engage Bristol. That means outreach. That means getting out into the community and engaging our community uh, so that we can tell them about Jesus Christ and help them come to find his church. Now some people say, well why do we do outreach in the community? Everybody can see we're here. We've got this big old nice building sitting here. Got a sign out front tells the service time. If they want to come to church, let them come. They can figure out how to get here and where we are and what we're doing. We've got a website out there. Why do we need to go out and engage people? Well, that's what we're going to think about today. Let's turn in the Bible to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 will be our text. Uh, we're looking at verses 17 through 21 today. Of course, Acts is written by Luke, who we looked at several of his stories about the Christmas, uh, about the birth of Christ over Christmas. And he records the beginning of the church, especially the early days of the church. And you know, the church had begun to thrive. I mean, to really thrive. There were many miracles happening. Uh, people were being healed. Uh, there was, uh, there, uh, evil spirits were being driven out of people. Crowds began to grow, and the apostles were held in high esteem. Uh, everybody wanted to be around the apostles and hear their teaching. And Jesus was being preached, and lives were being changed. And people were coming from outlying areas, coming into Jerusalem just to hear this, this teaching that the apostles were giving. And you know, the Jewish leaders were increasingly getting perturbed with the apostles. In fact, they had gathered them at one point and told them not to teach in the name of Jesus anymore. But they continued. And they became increasingly impatient with the apostles and the church. And we pick up here in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest, that is the high priest of the Jews, 
and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. See what the angel said? Go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people about this new life. About daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. You know, this instruction to the apostles is for us also. When Jesus gave the Great Commission back in Acts chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, he told the apostles, he said, go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you, the apostles, to do. So the apostles were to teach others to do what they had been taught to do. And so these, this teaching to go and tell about this new life is not just for the apostles. It's for us as well. Last year, we introduced our new vision and mission and values. And our vision was that hope changes everything. We believe that because we believe there's hope in Jesus. And as long as people have hope, they can always have something to, to strive for, no matter what they face in their life. You see, when you have hope, you keep pressing toward a solution. Hope can bring new life to any person. I read this week about uh, a famous tree. Max Licato, the author, preacher, tells about uh, this tree in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. It's a, it's a, a sprawling, shade-bearing, 80-year-old American elm. Tourists drive for miles around to see this tree. They pose for pictures underneath it. Arborist carefully protected. She adorns post, uh, posters and letterheads. Uh, other trees grow larger and fuller, even greener. But not one tree is equally cherished as this tree in downtown Oklahoma City. The reason why it's so cherished is it's on the lot where Timothy McVeigh parked his truck of death blew up the Edward E. Murrah building several years ago, killing 168 people, wounding 850 people, and totally destroying that building. And that tree was covered with rubble in the midst of that bombing. But eventually, as time wore on, the rubble was cleared out, rain washed off the tree, and despite the fact that in the early days after the bombing, that tree had no leaves, very few limbs, but it began to grow. It began to bud. It began to bear leaves. It began to turn green again. And now it sprouts and its bark is healed. 
and its green leaves have pushed through all the gray matter that covered it, and life has resurrected from an acre of death. And people noticed. And people looked at that tree, and they saw it as a symbol of resilience. And people realized that new life can come sometimes from bad situations. You know, it's known today as the survivor tree. And so we should remember that new life always is a symbol for hope to anybody. You know, we have this new life that Jesus talked about. And we want to take that new life out into our community and spread it to the people. The hope so that people's lives can be changed. Now, how do we do that? Well, our vision for that was that we were going to love God, and we were going to love people, and we were going to serve both God and people. You know, real-life people can be a great symbol of hope. Uh, People living out their faith. Uh, These apostles were told to go into the temple share the good news. You know, there's there's always hope. Where there's hope, there can be new life. You know, it's interesting. When you think about that temple, that temple no longer stands. That temple has been destroyed, totally wiped out, except for one wall is left standing in Jerusalem today. Once it was a great pillar of pillar of greatness, people came from miles around to see the beauty of that temple in Jerusalem. But we don't even need that temple today. Back in the first century, it was the center of the Jewish worship. It was the place where they went to worship. But today, God says our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The bodies of all the believers you know, that temple was destroyed within one generation of Jesus' death. I think it was destroyed to show the people that there's new life. There's new life in Christ. And there's a new way of worship and a new hope for people. But that at that time is where the angel told the apostles to go and tell about that new life. They were going to need a new life because when that temple was gone, it was was their whole system of worship. And that's where the angel sent the apostles to go and tell of the new life. Do you know what? Going to the temple courts is going to the community. Back in that day, the temple was the center Jewish life. Much took place in the courtyards of that temple. Now, there were several courtyards. Uh, You go to the inter part, there was the main temple part, the Holy of Holies. And then just outside of the Holy of Holies, that's what housed the Ark of the Covenant, uh, there was the, the, uh, the holy place there. 
And then there, there was the court of the priest where they went and did their business. Now, outside of the court of the priest, you had a, another courtyard, and that was called the court of Israel. Now, only Jewish men could go into the court of Israel. And they brought their sacrifices in for their families, presented them to the priest, and then the priest took them into the court of the priest and did their business and made the sacrifices and those kind of things. But outside the court of Israel was the court of women. Now, women and children and men could go into this court, but even bigger still, outside of that court was the court of the Gentiles. And this was a huge place. And it was a place where people met friends and neighbors there. And they came for fellowship and they came to worship. It had gone undergone many renovations over the years. It had been destroyed once before and now was built back. And now this temple had undergone renovation by Herod the Great. And this temple was... Uh, expanded to its largest point now. Herod had done a great work to, to hopefully persuade the Jews to follow his leadership. And this court of the Gentiles, it was filled with vendors and people selling wares and souvenirs and selling animal sacrifices. Uh, there was a place where you could exchange foreign currency People came from all kinds of foreign lands to visit this temple. They would exchange their, uh, their money for the temple shekel. Uh, Jewish people had to pay a temple tax every year. And there was Solomon's colonnade in this particular courtyard, which was a, a long uh, covered porch-like with huge columns. The church at one time had met under Solomon's colonnade. And people met there. and People had fellowship there in that place. This was a place of hustle and bustle. You may recall Jesus went in there. He called it a den of robbers because the vendors were charging unfair prices for the animal sacrifices. They were uh, charging exorbitant rates for the exchange rate of exchanging foreign currency. But this is a place where the masses were. This is an area filled with people. And God knew that it was a place where he was going to send his apostles to go and tell about this new life. You know, we've got to find places in our community where we can go and tell about this new life. Maybe we go as a group from the church. Or maybe you go individually, wherever you can go, where you can show people the love of God and where you can serve them as they have need. We do plan to do more corporate events this year, uh, service days, where we go out into the community, do some projects. But we're going to encourage you to do more on your own, to reach out, and uh, engage your community and show people the love of Christ. You see, the message is about new life in Christ. Now, what is this new life? I want you to think for a minute. 
It's new life because he, Jesus, is the light of life. He shows us the way to live, John 1, 4. As the word of life, he reveals to us God's desire for us, 1 John 1, 2. Being the bread of life, he feeds our deepest need, John 6, 35. We are told that knowledge of him gives us everything we need to live a godly life, 2 Peter 1, 3. He is also the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father, that is God, except through him, John 14, 6. That being said, we find the promises through faith in Jesus Christ of the forgiveness of sins, and we find eternal life with God in heaven, Romans 6, 23. Now, the truth is that new life doesn't mean a trouble-free life. It means that we will sometimes have trouble, but that Jesus will be with us during that time. Jesus never promised us a trouble-free life. In John 16, 33, he said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, what Christ wants for us to have peace is to incorporate him into every aspect of our lives. I want you to think for a minute. I've got a wheel I'm going to put up on the screen. And this particular wheel shows some various areas of our lives. I think you could probably fit everything in your life into this one of these aspects starting at the top family and finance and health and hobbies maybe special interests there career community and the spiritual part of your life and most all of us involve ourselves in those seven areas uh, in one way or another on a regular basis we involve ourselves in those areas but I want you to think about it this way next slide is that we put Christ in the center of that and incorporate Christ into every one of those seven areas so that when we're with family Christ is with us when when we're dealing with our finances we do it in a Christ like manner when we're dealing with our health, we involve Jesus. When we're even doing our hobbies or our special interests, we make sure that we bring Jesus and his values with us. On the job, we have Jesus with us. In the community, we have Jesus with us. And certainly in our spiritual lives, we have Jesus involved as we go about our business. You know, here's our connection. When we incorporate Christ into every aspect of our lives, we can't help but engage Bristol. I don't have any trouble imagining Jesus telling us today, you have this new life, now go and tell people about this new life. There was a salesman, a group of salesmen who were in a 
trip to Chicago. They were returning back to their hometown in Tennessee, and they were late to catch their plane, so they were running through the airport. As they uh, ran through the airport, one of the guys inadvertently bumped into a table that had a display of apples where a young girl was sitting and selling those apples. Well, the table turned over and apples went everywhere. Well, the guys just kept going, all but one. He stopped and he hollered ahead and said, go ahead, I'm going to be late for the flight. I'm going to help this girl. Call my wife when you get home. Tell her what happened. Tell her I'm going to be late. I'll catch the next flight. And he turned around and went back. And he said, I was glad I did. When I got back, this young girl, 16 years old, was groping around on the floor, tears flooding out of her eyes, bawling, reaching, trying to find apples. She was blind. Her chair was turned over. Her table was turned over. And so he began to help. And as he gathered up apples and put them in the basket she had, he noticed that many of them were bruised and, and had been cut and were not really good. He put them in another basket and set them off to the side. Finally, when all the apples had been cleaned up and he got the table set back up and the chair and she sat down and he he put the good apples on the table and set the bad ones on the floor. He gave her $40. He said, I want to pay for the apples we damaged. And he said, uh, I just want you to know we're sorry. Are you okay? Will you be all right now? She nodded. He started to walk off and she said, Mr., are you Jesus? <laughs> he got a little chuckle and he said, no, I'm not Jesus. She said, well, you sure must be an awful lot like Jesus. Because I prayed after my table got turned over and asked Jesus to send me somebody like him to help me. And he sent you. And I think that you're a whole lot like Jesus. At least to me, today you are. And you know, as we go about our lives out in the community, you don't know when you can be Jesus to somebody else. That's all we're asking to do is to show people this new life that we have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for Jesus, for the new life that he gives. Sometimes I think we take it for granted when we really ought to think about it every day, how we incorporate it into every aspect of our lives so that we can day by day become more and more like you. And as we become more like you, we share that with other people. They see a difference. They see a new life. They become, begin to become hungry for that new life help us, Father, as we begin this process of engaging Bristol, engaging our community, and taking the new life of Christ with us everywhere we go.
Christ's name we pray and pray.